Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Thursday, October 17th, 2013. Get ready for a rip-roaring ride of the weird. Does that work as an alliteration? I'm not sure. Rip-roaring ride of the weird. Kinda. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and we slow down and stop and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and we look in context. There's all kinds of crazy things being said out there, and from time to time, one of the things that we cover here. Uh, has to do with what I like to call the anatomy of money scams, if you would. You know, we try to peel back uh, the uh, the bad uses of Scripture to teach false things regarding money. And we're going to be doing that in spades in the first half of the hour today. Second half of the hour doesn't exactly fit with the first half. So today's episode, I must declare right here at the beginning, does not officially have a, uh, a theological category that we will be working with, just more or less kind of the broad category of discernment and uh, working our way out from that. With that being said, we have a lot of ground to cover, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. First thing we're going to do is we're going to get to a, an email, an email regarding a question regarding Matthew chapter 25 in the Sheep and the Goat Judgment, and whether or not that is saying that you cannot be saved unless you engage in social justice, or even worse, is that passage saying you cannot be a Republican. Uh, Believe it or not, there are Christians out there who make that claim using this passage. We'll take a look at it in context to answer this email. Um, And then what we'll do is we're going to take a look. We're going to do a hard turn here, and we're going to do a Patricia King update. And we're going to be listening to Candace, one of uh, Patricia King's cohorts uh, in the Patricia King gang, at the uh, Women on the Front Line conference from uh, 2012. And listen carefully to how she fleeces people for money at uh, at Patricia King's Women... Uh, Women on the Front Line Conference. And then with that template in mind, we'll switch gears after the break and uh, we'll listen to um, T.D. Jakes doing the same thing while he's trying to distance himself. No joke. Uh, T.D. Jakes is trying to distance himself from the... uh, that that uh, new oxygen uh, reality based television show like Preachers of L A or something like that and oh what a mess that is 
Oi. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just – but the the idea here is that the Patricia King gang template then is this exact same template that uh, T.D. Jakes engages in. Same misuse of scripture, same false teaching. Just uh, T.D. Jakes has better chops than the Patricia King gang for show. And then uh, in hour number two, we're going to be heading back down to Potential Church to see if they've uh, – gone from being a church in potential. They're not really a church anymore. They're just a potential church. And uh, see if they've achieved church status. We'll be listening to the fifth sermon in the STEAM series, which could literally be named, you know, out of the box, if you would. Uh, I don't know what it is with seeker-driven leaders in their fear of the box. But again, it's complete misuse of scripture, turning uh, descriptive text into prescriptive texts. And one of the weirdest misuses and misapplications of the gospel that I've heard in a long time. So we have literally a lot of ground to cover today, and I don't want the program to be three hours long. I'll do my best to keep it under that. And so we're going to have to dive right into it. So uh, let's get rolling. Here we go. All right, today's email comes to us from Stan, and Stan lives in Kaiser, Oregon, Kaiser, Oregon, and uh, Stan left his question for me on my Facebook wall. Sometimes that's an easier place for me to find questions than in my email, just because I get so many emails a a day now, and I wish I had could say I had the funds to hire somebody to read my emails for me, but that's a different story. But uh, here's uh, here's what Stan writes. He says, uh, Chris, recently I had a friend say to me that you can either be a Christian or a Republican, but you can't be both. His presupposition is that Republicans want to take away all entitlement spending and deny Obamacare to the poor. He quotes such passages as Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 36, to make the case for his social justice gospel argument. Do you have a good apologetic argument uh, suggestion for this? The answer to this is yes. The, 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 I have a good apologetic and good hermeneutic apologetic for this. Your friend... Um, number one is basically, you know, if you were to put it this way, um, we're dealing with something that historically doesn't fit. It, this is anachronistic, if you would. Uh, for instance, if I would say, listen, Jesus, you know, one of his favorite meals was microwave burritos. You'd say to me, um, yeah, dude, um, listen, they didn't have microwaves. They didn't have burritos. And nor did they have frozen burritos at that time. So the the ability to, for Jesus to, like, have his favorite food be microwave burritos doesn't make any sense. Uh, that doesn't fit, uh, you know, history. Same thing here. Same thing here is that um, socialism, which is you know, a collectivist uh, idea, ideology, really, regarding um, what the government should do with money and how, you know, and, and what is considered social justice uh, under that ideology, that is a recent Johnny-come-lately concept. And that is not what the Bible demands of Christians, nor does it demand that if you're a Christian, you must vote for people who are pro-socialism. That's just patently absurd. In fact, I would quote to you a couple of passages that <clears throat> make quite the argument against that concept. For instance, okay, 
For instance, I would quote 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me read to you verses 6 through 10, which says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know uh, how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. Uh, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but because but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even if uh, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command: if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If he's not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, so here's the idea. Poverty is caused by a lot of different reasons, okay? Poverty is not just this one thing. Uh, in fact, I've spent time working in soup kitchens in Southern California, and I can t- tell you this as somebody who's actually done some ministry work and spoken with people in poverty, one of the things I can say with certainty is that there are many different reasons why people find themselves to be poor. And what you will find when, if you will take the time to work in, the, uh, in a soup kitchen or work with the indigent is that oftentimes you will find that these people are poor by their choice. And what I mean by that is is that oftentimes people in poverty are those who are addicted, and they would rather be on skid row on drugs uh, and you know then you know to f- go and have a, a normal productive life. These are decisions that they make, and in order for somebody to get out of poverty, they're they're the ones who literally have to make the decision that this is something that they want to make. But the socialist ideology basically has this as a presupposition that poverty is caused in the United States by an un fair economic system known as capitalism. Therefore, um, you know, poverty is something that is caused by our economy, which ideal, this is an ideology. This cannot be substantiated by any facts. This is just what they believe ideologically. Therefore, the solution is to take from the rich and give to the poor. Well, that's not what the scriptures teach we as Christians to do. If you will not work, you shouldn't eat. This is what uh, Second, uh, sorry, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter three verse ten says. Now, another passage I would bring to bear is First Thessalonians chapter four verses nine through twelve, which reads, which reads, "Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly." and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That's right. So Christians are actually encouraged to work and if they don't work they shouldn't eat and to walk properly and be in and work hard with their hands and their vocation so that they may be dependent upon no one. This is what the clear passages say. So the question then comes up, what do you do with something like uh, the passage there in Matthew chapter 25? And the answer is you have to look at the passage in context. The three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context. And then there are other rules that apply, like, you know, Scripture interprets Scripture and things like that. And so let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25, the the parable of the sheep and the goats, which really doesn't sound like much of a parable. But if you take the time to exegete it in context, you'll see what's going on, and you'll see that social justice is not what's being referred to there, okay? So 
Let's take a look at the passage and notice something here. Matthew chapter 25, the entire chapter is all about the eschaton, the end of the age, Okay, when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. So you have the parable of the ten virgins. You have the te- parable of the, of the guys with the talents. And no, that's not talking about like a talent like in the ability to throw a basketball or something like that. A talent is a measure of money. I think it would be better for us as uh, English hearers uh, you know, to not call them talents, but call them talantos, which would, you know, or a talanta, which is the uh, Greek word for it, because I think it helps, because I think a lot of people, they hear the word talent, and immediately they start thinking of, you know, my ability to, you know, do X, Y, or Z, and that's not what it's talking about at all. But then we get to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, talking about the last day. This is the day when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And here's what it says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Now pause right there. Okay, verse 33, at the end of verse 33, the judgment is now finished. You are either a sheep or you are a goat. You are one or the other, and that's all there is to it. And you are separated by what you are, not what you've done. Only after you are separated by what you are are, is what you've done come into play. Now, we'll bring another passage to bear here. But what I want to do is make that very clear. The judgment's already taken place once they're separated. So then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now pay close attention to the next verses. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Sounds like social justice, right? Wrong. This isn't the, again, if you read social justice into this, you're reading eisegesis. If you read socialism into this, you're, it's, it's eisegesis. Here's the, con- but we continue, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you. Notice it's all about, you know, Jesus. And the king will answer them. Here's the punchline. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Mm-hmm. My brothers. This is not this is not some blanket statement about social justice, nor does it teach that you're saved by your works. In fact, we can say with certainty that this is not a passage that teaches salvation by works because the clear passages say, by works of the law, no one, no one, not one person will be saved, not by works of the law. Okay? So what does it mean then? Well, the answer is Scripture interprets Scripture. What does Jesus mean when he says, when I say to you, we did it to the least of these my brethrens, tan adelphonmu, right? That's the Greek. Well, we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Same book of the Bible, Matthew uh, chapter 12, verses 46 through 50 reads, 
While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, who are Jesus' brothers? Those are his disciples. Those are those who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. You know, the will of God is that you believe in the one whom the Father has sent. So now let's go back to this, okay? Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So with that in mind, we're talking about disciples of Jesus. So when a disciple of Jesus comes to you and is hungry and you give him food, a disciple of Jesus is somebody who brings to you the saving message of Jesus Christ, the one who says to you, Christ died for your sins, repent of your wickedness, and trust in him for your salvation. That's one of Jesus' brothers. So Jesus' brothers here could be an evangelist, it could be your pastor, it could be a teacher in the church, okay? What we're talking about are those who bring us the gospel, those who bring us the good news. So when I was hungry, you gave me food. Well, your pastor needs to be fed, doesn't he? So when you put money into the offering plate to support your pastor in the ministry that God has established in him in, in order to feed you the word of God and care for you and give you the Lord's Supper and baptize, right? That's, that, that's how you fulfill this. I was hungry. You gave me food. Aha. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. Okay, we're talking about pastors and teachers and evangelists and those who bring us the good news. I was a stranger and you welcomed me, right? Right, because, um, you know, what is it? Blessed are the feet who bring good news, right? I was naked and you clothed me. Yes, when you care, when you, when you, Properly care for your pastor. Make sure that he has what he needs. Then what you're doing is you're putting clothes on his back, right? I was sick and you visited me. Uh huh. And when your pastor is arrested for preaching the gospel, you go and you visit him in prison, right? So all of these things, you're looking at these things and you're going, oh, wow, I didn't even think of that. Right. Well, that's what the sheep say right here. We'll say the righteous will answer. We'll say, uh, uh, when do we feed you and uh, we're thirsty and give you drink? And when do we, when were you a stranger and we welcomed you and naked and not? Right. And Jesus says, I truly, I say to you, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the idea is this, is that Matthew chapter 25 is not about social justice. It's about caring for the ministers of the gospel. It's caring for those who bring us the good news. It's caring for the brothers of Christ. It's caring for your brothers and sisters in your Christian congregation who may at times run into a situation where they cannot care for themselves and you care for them. But your pastor comes to you completely 100% in your care. You know, so this is what this is talking about. So then we get to Matthew twenty five forty one. Then he will say to those on his left, depart, me, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me, right? Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. 
We're talking. This is the response of those who persist in sin and unbelief to those who bring to them the good news of Christ, those who are his disciples, who believe in him and trust in him. What do the what do the goats do with them? Get away from me. I don't know you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm not going to come visit you in prison. I think the message you bring is ridiculous, right? It's all about faith. So then they will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you can put in the word, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Straightforward, straightforward and really simple. When you take a look in context, you realize Matthew 25 is not teaching social justice at all. Not at all. To make the claim that you cannot be a Christian, you cannot be a Christian and be a Republican because of Matthew 25 shows that the person telling you that doesn't actually know what God's word says and teaches, and they've been taught falsely. And the irony of that particular attack against somebody, you know, is that the person making it doesn't even realize that the danger that they are in. Paul, writing in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified. Justified here is the Greek word uh, dikaiao, means to be declared righteous. We know that a person is not declared righteous, but you can say before God, by works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So to turn Matthew 25 into a social justice text and then say you could go to hell if you don't engage in social justice is to create a gospel that isn't a gospel. It's a salvation scheme based upon works, and it's based upon your dutiful engagement in social justice rather than faith alone in Jesus Christ. And if you believe that you are saved by your social justice, then you're damned because you're trusting in your own works. Moving along. So, um, there's a famous passage in Scripture that says, Faith comes by hearing. Did you know that apparently that uh, within the Word of Faith movement and many in the charismatic Pentecostal movements, they, they believe that that means something about money. Yeah, no joke. Here is uh, Stacy Campbell introducing Clarice Fluitt. Um, at uh, Patricia King's 2012 Women on the Front Lines conference. And uh, what I want you to hear is not only her twisting of Scripture, but I also want you to hear how she does what she does, because that needs to be fresh in your mind so you can see the template, so that when we come back from the break, you can hear T.D. Jakes applying this same template, which is a false reading of Scripture, um, in order to fleece people of money. But uh, here's Stacy Campbell from the 2012 uh, Women on the Front Lines Conference put on by Patricia King introducing Clarice Fluitt, and then you're going to hear Clarice, um, ex- well, just tell all kinds of stories. But uh, listen in. Here we go. 
He's coming here. Okay. And I would like Clarice and uh, Patricia. That, that it's, 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 I'm going to pray for the spirit of revelation, but these, these women have already accessed it. And I want you to tell a couple testimonies. Like you told us the other day, Clarice, about the $87,000 in the, in the, uh, the, the, the yeah, it just the appeared. appeared. Money cometh. She called her dog money and she goes, here, money, money, here, money, money. And debt free. And she called the other one debt free. Here, debt free, debt free over here. Sit, debt free. Stand, debt free. Come on. I was giving a seminar and the kingdom of God indeed is a kingdom of words. And I said, if we could just agree with God, I know you're going to wonder if I know anything else, but this will finish it up. Who will agree with God? And we say we will, but we don't. We say we will, but we don't. And so our actions are we agree with the traditions of the mind of man, which makes the word of God to no effect. The only thing more powerful than the word of God is what you think it says. Now, when the Lord told me, he said, sell everything you have and give to the poor. That's another story. Okay, now um, that's the setup here. She's gonna she's gonna tell a personal testimony, and apparently this is all about hearing the voice of God and ha- have something to do with that verse in Romans chapter ten, verse seventeen, that faith comes by hearing. Okay, so what they mean by that is faith comes by hearing. You know, actually hearing the audible voice of God, not in scripture. But let's take a look at that passage before they get to it so that you can understand what it says in context. Romans chapter 10, we'll start at verse 14 and apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, context, context, and context. Take a look at what it says, and then you'll understand how they twist it when they twist it. You'll you'll hear this. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news but they have not all obeyed the gospel for isaiah says lord who has believed what he has heard from us so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of christ mm. So what's being talked about here in Romans 10, 17? The preaching of the gospel. How can somebody who doesn't believe, believe unless there's a preacher sent to preach to them the good news? That's what Paul's arguing, right? How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How can you be a Christian if you've never heard of Jesus? Well, they can't. So somebody needs to be sent to people who have never heard of Jesus so that they can hear him. And that's what it says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now you understand what this passage is about. It's about the preaching of the gospel to those who are not saved. Now we'll continue with this story so that you can hear what's going on here. This is a big setup to get a big huge, ginormous seed offering for Patricia King's uh, ministry. Listen in. Because he said everything you had up to this point is just your seed. You thought it was your crop, but it was just your seed. Except the seed fall to the ground and die, not get sick. There's a lot of us that are sick, but we're not dead yet. You know, and the reality is that 
that this is a new life and it is a life that can only be lived by a dead man. Now you need to hear what I'm saying. You must esteem the old man smitten, not sick. If you desire the benefit of understanding what it is. So if you want to kill your old man and not just make him sick, well, then you better give lots and lots of money walk in covenant with God, you have got to choose to lose your life in order to gain his. Can you say amen to that? Now, you don't... You have to choose to lose your life so that you can gain his? I thought he lost... Yeah, wow, that's completely backwards. Hmm. By sweat, priests don't sweat. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? And if you've heard this woman of God shaking and quaking and saying, listen, I want you to know death, doom, destruction, it's all over the place. But the kingdom of God is unshakable. But making mental assent to the kingdom of God, hearing the word and not mixing it with the faith of God. There's a difference between faith in God and the faith of God. The faith of God knows it doesn't hope. The hope of glory is Christ in you. Now, notice here, faith got, has got to get busy and do something and demonstrate itself. Otherwise, it's not really faith. It's just faith in God, not the faith of God, she says. The manifestation of glory is Christ as you. Now, let me make you real nervous. What? The manifestation of glory is Christ as you? What verse says that? Yeah, praise God. Until you are totally and completely and absolutely... Lost your mind and got a new one. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to use the knowledge that you have skillfully. Information without revelation produces imitation and leads to stagnation. Um, yeah, did you read that on a bumper sticker somewhere? I don't see that in my Bible. Revelation produces change. These people are revelators that are talking to you. You can get three old chips. Stacey Campbell and Patricia King? I don't think so. They're false prophetesses. ...filled and leave just like you came. But until you take what has been given and make it yours by the reason of use... I've had several of you come up and say, you know, I opened my wallet and I had a $100 bill in it. Didn't know, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know it was there. How many of you are beginning to find money in your bag, in your purse? Hold, hold up your hand. I've had them all over here say, I'm finding money that I did not know I had. I opened my purse, and there it was. It's already beginning to increase. Now, those of you who have had that happen, would you turn around and lay hands on 10 people around you? See, my question is, if she really believes in all this money multiplication stuff, why is she? Why are they basically greasing the skids for this huge seed offering, uh, rather than just going home and and not asking anybody for anything and letting God multiply the money that they already have? Hmm. Amen. And just say, I believe and I receive. Now you don't have to be noisy while you're doing that. Now listen to me. When the Lord said, give everything away, I have five small children. I said, I, I don't understand what you're doing. I used to tell the Lord, you treat your friends like this, you're not going to have many. I just want you to understand, this is a tough way. All you want to do is know God. And I had a little coffee grinder in my house. Faith cometh by hearing. And every time I would... Oh, Did you hear that? Faith cometh by hearing. Romans 10, 17. 
The context of that is the preaching of the gospel to those who do not believe and have never heard of Christ. And now she's saying faith comes by hearing, and this means hearing the audible voice of God speaking to you in your head or someplace else. When that coffee grinder, there'd be $50, it'd be $20, it'd be $100 in it. Every time I had a need, and there, I took on the mentality of a poor person. Poor, pitiful me. Used to have all these good things, and now just woe is me. Nobody knows the troubles I see. And I didn't bother to, you know, comb my hair, brush my teeth, you know, do anything like that. I was pouting before God. And the Lord said to me one day when I was sad, What are you doing? And I said, Well, you know, we don't have any food. And I don't have this, and I don't have, I don't have a car five years without transportation, and all these little children. And I just don't know. My reputation is gone, and this is just... A, he said, what do you want? I said, well, I want groceries. He said, well, go get them. I said, I don't have any money. He said, you didn't ask for money, you asked for food. Faith cometh by hearing. I said, okay. Yeah, there we go again. Faith cometh by hearing. Yeah, uh-huh. Hearing the voice of God, apparently. I'm going. I'm sitting. They have no way to go. A car drives up. This lady comes by. And she said, I was in the neighborhood, and the Lord said to come by and take you someplace. I said, I'm going to the grocery store. And she said, did you get some money? And I said, I'm going to the grocery store. And she says, Clarice, don't do that. This is before we knew about the word of faith. And she, I said, no, I'm going to be, she says, I've got $40. I'll give you $40. I said, I want to tell you one thing. I read about Pat Robinson and him eating soybeans. I ain't going that direction. I'm going to get, God told me to get groceries. We're going to get groceries. And I went and I filled up two buggies without one dime to my name. And I want you to know I got the best of everything. Say, faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. You're going to love this. I feel total twisting of God's word and a nice anecdotal story with no ability to verify the facts here and no ability to verify if this is the voice of God or the voice of the devil, except for by her doctrine. Because Jesus says of the false teachers that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. This isn't good fruit. This is false teaching. She's twisting God's word. That's bad fruit that tells us that this is not God, the Holy Spirit, that's speaking to her. This might be her own brain. She could be psychotic. Um, <clears throat> could be the devil. But the one thing we can rule out is God, the Holy Spirit, because she's twisting Romans ten seventeen. I'm buggy up, and I'm telling you, my friend is standing there, and you, she, she is some nervous. <laughs> and I got one buggy, and they started on the second buggy. And there's this guy comes up behind me. He's got a chicken and a loaf of bread. He says, I always get stuck behind somebody like you. <laughs> he said, I am so glad I don't have to feed that brood that you got. <laughs> then he said, he knew me. And he said, Clarice, how do you hear from God? I said, well, the way I do it is I ask. And he said, you mean you just say, God talk to me? And I said, if you... Ex if you expect him to talk to you, you have to let him expect that you're going to do what he says. He said, standing there with that dead chicken, that loaf of bread, he said, God, speak to me. He kind of looked like Woody Allen. And he said, 
It's like telling a joke, right? Do you really believe this was God the Holy Spirit speaking to him? Absolutely not. There's a mighty God. But if you don't walk out on the water, don't expect it to get hard. Amen? Yeah, there's a mighty God, but if you don't walk on the water. So how do you walk on the water? You put in a big amount of money in the bucket when the bucket is passed. That's how you walk out on the water. Show God that you really are going to step out in faith. Give till it hurts. Come on now. do. This is a Ponzi scheme. Something besides say yippee-ki-yay. And I tell you what, I said, what's the matter? He said, I heard God. I said, what did he say? He said, pay for all your groceries. And what did I say? I said, well, I do know this. It's more blessed to give than receive. And I'll tell you time and time and time again, I could just spend hours telling you that God will take you into places that you would never go. But if you think that you have got to understand it before you stand under it, you're not going. Yeah, you're not going. Understand it before you stand under it. No, you just got to give without even understanding why. Lots and lots and lots of money going to stand around and hear people like us tell you how good God is. It is time for you to activate, ratify, talk to yourself and prophesy. Call yourself rich. Be a money magnet. Begin. Be a money magnet. This is so crass. This is so demonic. This woman, she, well, she's suffering from the love of money. Money is her idol. Money is really her God. Because the more you get, the more you can give. It is the season for you. And I want you to tell you what. God's not going to do anything. He's already done it. It was finished before it began. So if you, if you can hear this one parting shot, anything that has to do with someday, God's going to. And yesterday, God did. You have just resurrected Adam. Because now faith... Everything is about now. It's not about someday God's going to. Every time you say he's going to send me some money, every time you say he's going to do this, every time you are saying, God, I don't believe you're a now God. If you don't put some pressure in these heavenlies, nothing's going to come out except moaning and groaning. And I want you to know prisoners groan, so stop it. You're not a prisoner. You need to look in the mirror and say, bless God, I am who God says that I am. I'm ahead. I'm above and I've got the power. Yeah, stand in the mirror and declare how wonderful you are. Word of faith heresy here. He's got Amen. It, so today, those of you who are in real estate business, you need to buy, you need to sell, you need to have a release in your finances. This is, you know, in the natural, it looks like the worst possible time, houses and blah, blah, blah. It's the best possible time. It's the best possible time. You need to say, I'm rich and not poor. I'm above and not beneath. So those of you who are believing... Notice, uh, you create your reality with your words, and then you've got to act on that. Quick, get to it. If, that, if you really believe it, then you've got to show it by doing something. 
for real estate ventures. Let me tell you something about real estate. You can change everything about it except where it is. It's like being in God. Location, 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 location. So in the authority of the name of Jesus... You entrepreneurial people that are looking for a breakthrough in finances, a breakthrough in real estate right now. You said, oh, I wish I had a new home. Oh, I wish I could sell this home. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. Wishing's not going to help you one bit in the world. Praise God. Now, that's not actually the gift of tongues. Nope, that's not even a language she's speaking. That's just complete nonsense and gibberish. And it's what she's doing is forbidden by God's word. Why is it forbidden? She doesn't have an interpreter. Come on now. I don't even hear faith in this house. I don't even hear faith in this house. It can't stay the same. Don't you dare leave like you came in Jesus' name. See, see it, see it, see it, see it, see it, see it. Look at your bank account. Say, I'm rich. I'm rich. Yeah, what does this have to do with Christ? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is the exact opposite of Christianity. This is blasphemy, what this woman's doing. To be baptized in the Holy Ghost, to Plato, to have the source of all wealth. Rich is not just money, beloved, that you are rich in wisdom and knowledge and comprehension and understanding and kindness and mercy. You are the sons of God. You have the character to contain fire. You have the character to contain fire. Familiar spirits of the old nature that have to do with poverty and lack. We smite it. Notice how the music here is helping set the mood to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is really getting busy here or there and whatever that is. The authority of the name of Jesus. You're going to have to change your mind. You need to do just what I did with my little puppy. And I said, money, come here. And she just came right there. I said, roll over money. Roll over money. I said, money, deposit. I'm telling you, there's a voice. There's a voice. And I can got this. They're both Pomeranians. And I've got one named Debt Free. And I say, Debt Free, you get in here and sit with me. Don't you ever leave me. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of words. Um, no, it's not. Not the way you're saying it. Yeah, your words create your reality. You say you're rich and you will be rich. You'll be a money magnet. Oh, yeah. This is witchcraft. This is not Christianity. Use them skillfully. Well, there you go. Yeah, so that's kind of to show you the template here, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take our first break, and uh, when we come back, we'll explain to you, actually, we'll play for you audio of uh, T.D. Jakes doing something very similar while griping and complaining about uh, that uh, new reality TV show, The uh, Preachers of L.A. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Like I said, T.D. Jakes update uh, with him griping and complaining about the preachers of L.A. while while he's fleecing people for money. It's actually quite ridiculous. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. Hey guys, it's Rex here, again. Now I know that all of you have been hearing about the latest fad in the church called an Emmaus Walk. Well, you know what I think? It's uber lame. I mean, what's so special about going on a little walk, hoping and praying that Jesus is going to show up and have an enlightenment picnic with you? It's not nearly hardcore enough. I'm starting a new fad. It's called the Road to Damascus Walk. You don't go out trying to find Jesus. He finds you. And after he's found you, he knocks you off your horse, throws you in the mud, blinds you, and then sends you on a harrowing journey to a town that you've never been to in order to find a prophet of God. It's way more awesome than an ant-infested picnic next to a scum-filled pond! Don't believe me? Well, then give it a shot. I dare you. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek, 
At Think Geek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor is telling you that you need to step out in faith and sow a seed offering, make it hurt, you know. Just a reminder. Well, you know, here's a funny thing. I, I always hate this part of my program, especially when I'm doing segments like this. Here's the reality. Fighting for the faith, this is listener-supported radio. Uh, we do not make a lot of money. We, <laughs> we pay our bills every year somehow by the skin of our teeth, and that's fine. We just need to be able to pay our bills so that we can keep doing what we're doing. Uh, you, I can guarantee you that if you send in money to support Fighting for the Faith, um, I can't <laughs> I, that I will make no promises that God will do anything, okay, except make it possible for us to keep preaching the gospel and teaching people what God's word says in context so that they can be set free and not deceived by those people who are taking advantage of them and twisting God's word. So if you don't already support Fighting for the Faith and you think that this is an important work, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. That's it, not much. Every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update, T.D. Jakes. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Elder Nero, wanna be a millionaire? Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oot. And whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like beaches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can inveigle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Back collector, I'm a paper bill inspector, I'm a savage for that cabbage man to me is golden nectar. Pour that filthy lucre on me, spread those loving germs upon me. Money, 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 money. And if they ever plant trees of enormous doom, I wanna be the guy that they send out to prove them. Oh, give me my money. 
we go. Dr. Teeth and money, money, money. Now, what you're going to hear in just a second is T.D. Jakes complaining. T.D. Jakes complaining and taking shots at that new uh, reality TV show, The Preachers of L.A. And if you haven't seen the, uh, well, the preview for The Preachers of L.A., oh, man, it's just an absolute abomination. I mean, these are guys, you got guys who literally drive around in Bentleys, Ferraris, and, you know, live in these ginormous homes. They have uh, memberships at expensive country clubs. uh, And, uh, you know, it's all about the money, the money, the money. In fact, one of them, one of them is, (laughs) you know, the the guy is shacking up. One of the preachers of L.A. is literally shacking up with his girlfriend, and she has to say to him that you know you know uh, we're not going to have any more kids until you marry me, kind of thing. I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. In fact, what I probably should do is play for you a little bit of of the audio from the premiere on YouTube uh, uh, of the uh, preachers of L.A. so that you know what uh, T.D. Jakes is griping about. But uh, here, listen in. I'm Bishop Clarence E. McClendon. My name is Dietrich Hatton. I'm Wayne Cheney. Yeah, these are the guys, and they're show you can't see it, but you know, these guys are showing these guys with their Bentleys, their huge houses. My name is Jay Hazlip. My name is Noel Jones. Oh man, I wish you could see this. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's like watching a premiere for Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Talk about bling and cars. That's a Rolls Royce. The Bible says that I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I believe that. Yeah, I'm sure you do. How much do you think that suit costs? You know what, about 15 grand? P. Diddy, Jay-Z, they're not the only ones who should be driving Ferraris and living in large houses. The Bible says that those who sow among us should reap from us. That's implying that the preacher's to be taken care of. Yeah, taken care of, like, you know, making sure that his wallet is well padded, you know, to the point of gazillions of dollars. I like being successful. Security is a necessary part of what we do. Security. That is like a security entourage. I don't even think the president have that has that much security. Being a pastor is very dangerous because you have to be perfect at all times. Uh-huh. People put you up on a pedestal that you can't live on. Pastors are people just like everybody else. It's all about truth for me from this point on. The truth about my baby out of wedlock. The truth about my divorce. It happened. There's nothing I can do about that. I'm a pastor, but at the end of the day, I'm a man. Uh-huh. I'm a pastor, but at the end of the day, I'm a man. Sounds like you're not qualified biblically to be a pastor. Does it ever get to a place where it's really not about love, but it's... A- now you got some kind of marital spat going on here. About winning. Winning what? Winning a, a man or a relationship? No, winning me. I, winning me. You're not a prize. I am a prize. <laughs> That's right. Maybe I don't love you as much as you love me. Maybe you don't. And maybe I don't love you as much as you think I love you. How is it that anybody thinks this is Christianity? I'm trying my best to balance it all, and just when you think you have it managed. Now this guy is, you know, again having a you know conversation with his wife. Let's get through this, man. 
if we plan on- now listen to this 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 gal is having a conversation with one of the pastors on the preachers of la listen to what she says so they're, you know, they're in their really expensive you know really nice house and uh <clears throat> listen to what she says on having more children i want to be married we have more than you a re- relationship like i'm your part of your your congregation i'm not don't pastor me yeah, if you want to have any more children with me, then you better get married to me. Hoy, hoy. What has happened to the church? Now, so here, here's my theory, all right, so that you know what it is that you're about to hear. Here's my theory. I think that um, T.D. Jakes <laughs> watched the uh, premiere of The Preachers of L.A. and decided that... Um, that <laughs> This is hitting way too close to home. I mean, what these guys are doing is basically, if you were a magician, okay, let me put it this way. If you were a magician, uh, the Preachers of L.A. is like to magicians showing somebody how the magic trick is done. You you know, so these these preachers, these televangelists and those who buy into the word of faith heresy, the one thing that these preachers have been really good about is not letting people see where the money's going. You know, to to the Ferrari, the Bentley, the the Rolls Royce, the uh, you know, and the the super mansions. And so here's the deal: <laughs> T.D. Jakes probably watched this and went, you know, what? You can't show them where the money's going. And so now he knows he's in trouble because he's got to find a way to dis, you know to set himself apart. While all the while. T.D. Jakes is one of the, one of the best fleecers out there. So what you're going to hear, and the audio is not that great on this. I apologize, but uh, I tried cleaning it up, but somebody's recorded it off their television, so you know it's it's going to sound a little bit tinny. But uh, this was just <laughs> you're going to hear T.D. Jakes literally doing the same thing that we heard Clarice do. Okay. All the while trying to separate himself and distinguish himself from the preachers of L.A. Because, you know, you know this isn't about T.D. Jakes getting money. No, no, no. This He wants people to step out in faith and experience miracles and stuff. This isn't about him. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you hear this. Hang on. Here we go. Even if it's what you did not plan to give, even if it's not what you expected to give, I want you to get your best seed in your hand. You're watching over the internet. I challenge you right now to do what you couldn't do before. The word of the Lord has been preached in this place today. This is an opportunity for you to respond to the word. The word doesn't work if you don't respond to it. You- the word doesn't work if you don't respond to it. So you, we, he wants to give you an opportunity to respond to the word that was preached by sending in money. You got to respond to the word. You have to take action. You can't just lay there in the same old bed you were in and suck up this word and be who you were before. Your actions prove that you heard the word of God. I want so you- your actions prove that you've heard the word of God. That means send in money. Uh-huh. To respond to the reason that you're logged on to this broadcast. Somebody's late for their own service. You could not walk away from this message because the Holy Spirit is speaking directly, challenging your limitations. I rebuke it now in the name of Jesus. Some of you are moving in your life, but your business is bound. Your company is bound. Your career is bound. Your career, your business, your money, it's all bound. The way you unbind it is by sending money to T.D. Jakes. Your products are not moving. Your stuff is not selling. I rebuke that parallel. 
paralytic condition off of your finances in the name of Jesus. Your paralysis will be broken today in the name of Jesus. I challenge you to stretch where you couldn't stretch before. Yeah, that's right. Stretch where you couldn't stretch before. Make a large check. Lots and lots of zeros, you know. That's going to that's gonna show God that you mean business, right? And send it to T.D. Jakes, uh-huh. Care of the Potter's House, Dallas, Texas. And do what you couldn't do before. I challenge you right now to get your best seed. And re- yeah, give your best seed. Respond to this word like you mean it. And respond to this word like you believe it. And God will open up the windows of heaven and pull you out of blessing you will not have room enough to receive. Now- yeah, so God's going to bless you once you send the check to T.D. Jakes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just hang on. It gets better. I know you've been watching that junk on TV, and I want to tell you right now, not one dime of what you're sowing right now will buy my suit. I want you to know my car is paid for. I want you to know I got my house on my own. I- All right. So, okay. So, um, yeah, you wear some pretty snap, uh, snappy clothes there, um, TD. Uh, so my question, okay, so w- where's the money going to go then? Because he's going to go on to make the, you know, the case that, uh, you know, the mortgage is paid for there at the Potter's house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got all this money. And he's one of the wealthiest people out there, right? Uh, but not a single dime is going to go to him. Really? Can we have an accounting firm uh, confirm that for us, please? Uh, you know, so <laughs> not one penny is going to go for buying his suit and all this kind of stuff. And so where is it going to go? Oh, oh, I forgot. This is all about you showing God you know, and stretching in faith so that God can open up the floodgates of heaven. I mean, T.D. Jakes is not going to benefit from a dime of what you're sending it. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, but <clears throat> this is all for you so that you can experience God's blessing, which, of course, comes with a huge price tag. I want you to know I am not bling bling and I am not shaking bank. I had money when I came to Dallas and I plan to have some when I leave. You did not buy what I got. I had it when I came here. You know I had it when I came here. The devil is a lie. I have sold enough books and produced enough movies. I don't need your offering to pay for this little slimy suit. So I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. We are going to build the kingdom of God like we have always built the kingdom of God. I'm not from L.A., I'm from Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not from L.A., I'm from Dallas. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter what city you're in. The word of faith heresy is still a heresy. And no, God does not demand that people send money to a televangelist, T.D. Jakes or any other, in order to earn a blessing or to prove to him that they're stepping out in faith. So the template's the same as what we heard from Clarice. It's a, it's a false teaching. It's a twisting of God's word and a fleecing of Christ's sheep. And here, T.D. Jakes, oh, I guess those uh, preachers in L.A. Should, should never have let everybody know where the money's going and how they're living because now it's going to hurt business for T.D. Jakes, right? So he's got to find a way to distinguish himself from that particular crowd while all the while he's preaching the same word of faith heresy that they're preaching send in your money and god's going to bless it stretch out in faith to prove to god that you believe him and make it hurt make the make the check big see you know how does jesus say it a bad tree can't bear good fruit now can it all right we're up on our second break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. 
Uh, another miserable sermon for potential church. We'll see if they've actually achieved church status yet. Yeah, stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's like what not to wear for theology. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted new teeth. Oh, sorry, dear. I seem to have accidentally wrapped my spare dentures. (laughs) Here's your real present. Oh, look. It's a glow stick. We all know how much you like Star Wars, so we got you one of those lightsaber thingies. Oh, thanks. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about Think Geek. At Think Geek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. I have to review the concepts of descriptions in the Bible versus prescriptions. Just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean that it prescribes it. Yeah, you'll see what I mean when we get there. But first, we got to do this.
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's <clears throat> sermon comes to us via Potential Church. Now, they're not a church anymore. They used to be, but now they're not. They're just a church in Potentia. Uh, Troy Gramling is their potential pastor, but he's not really a pastor because he has no clue how to handle God's Word. Like, at all. And this sermon will be yet another example of his complete inability to even have a clue as to what the Bible is about and demonstrate that he's not qualified to be teaching anybody. So, if you were hoping that potential church would go from the potential church status to actual church status after this sermon, well, then (laughs) you're going to be disappointed. But let's just say this. The name of the sermon is Steam. It's number five in the Steam sermon series. And you might as well rename it Think Out of the Box, something like that, because, of course, everybody knows that seeker-driven leaders are completely terrified of the box and don't want you to be in the box and why it's important for you to be innovative like Steve Jobs. Yeah, it's just, just unbelievable. So... Let me go ahead and kill the music here, and without any further ado, here is Steam. <laughs> well, you know, this, for sure, this sermon is definitely full of hot air. Um, and it will begin with, um, well, Troy Grambling inside of a jack-in-the-box. That's what you're going to hear. He's going to be <clears throat> breaking free from a jack-in-the-box. So if you're wondering what that is, it's all about breaking out of, well, you know, the proverbial box. So without any further ado, here's Troy Gramling and number five in the Steam Sermon Series. Here we go. It's me! (laughs) How many of you had a jack-in-the-box when you were little, right? And you're winding that thing. You're just waiting for that moment when, I guess, Jack or whoever it is kind of pops out of the box. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how so many times we stay in the box, but God has put something in every single one of us that actually wants us to get out of the box to do life a little bit differently. So get out of the box and do life a little differently. What are you talking about? Um, I want to share with you, really, we're going to kind of step away from James for today. And and I want to share with you something that's kind of been on my heart for a while. You know, as I... You're going to share something that's been on your heart. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably the last thing I want to want to hear, especially after it's touched that. As I prepared uh, coming here, when we were landing... In New York, and you know how when you're on a plane and it lands and then it makes that little sound and everybody gets out of their seat and they're undoing, you know, and they're getting their, and it's really crowded in the aisle when that happens because people are reaching up and they're reaching under. And, and so somebody bumped this other gentleman and when he bumped him, I mean, it just made him incredibly angry. I mean, he got upset. He started yelling. He said, you bump me, you know, you push me. And he's like, no, I didn't push you. And he said, well, let's go outside the airport and we'll figure out who pushed who. And I mean, this plane of hundreds of people are watching these two adult men. One was probably in his 30s. The other was maybe in his 50s. The one who got so angry was in his 50s. I mean, he was just mad. He said, you picked the wrong boy or the wrong man to bump. 
I mean, that sounds stupid, doesn't it, to even say something like that. But that's exactly what's going on. And as I was watching this happen, and actually this week's teaching is supposed to be on conflict. And as I was watching this happen, I was thinking, wow, you know, I'm sure they're going to have a great weekend because we need to hear about conflict. But then when I realized I was the one that was going to do the teaching this weekend, I thought, there's something greater than that. I mean, when you look around at our culture and you look around at our world and you just think, how do, how do we get there? I mean, as, as adult people, how do we get to a place where on an airplane we completely lose it because somebody bumps us? Because we're sinners born dead in trespasses and sins? How's that one for an answer? And, um, and I just think that the answer to that question or the solution to that problem God has put in those of us that are in this room and at our other campuses and watching online and watching on television today. And so that's what I want to share with you. If you look at your outline, I put this there, that most people spend the majority of their life trying to do better. But what if God is not calling us to do something better, but to do something different? Not- uh, uh, what? <laughs> so what if God is not calling us to do something better, but something different? What are you talking about? Better, but different. Uh, If you go to a conference, I don't know what profession you're in, but if you're in a teaching profession and you go to a teaching conference, most of the time, those conferences are about how to do what you do better. If you're in a sales profession and you go to a sales conference, the majority of the time that conference is going to be all about how to do it better. If I go to a ministry conference, it's about how to do it better. But what if God's not calling us to do something better? What if God's actually challenging you and I to do something different? Because different is what changes the world. I mean, by its very definition, to to change the world means there has to be a change. The other thing I put in your outline... So God's called us to change the world. I thought he called us to make disciples of all nations. You can't change the world trying to do what isn't working better. Uh Uh-huh. This is not going to go well. You can't change... Nowhere in the Bible am I told that I'm supposed to change the world. But that's what we do. I mean, in other words, what we're doing, it's not working. We're like, man, we're not making enough profit. We're not helping enough people. We're not impacting whatever it is that you do. And then you say, so here's the answer is we're going to do what's not working better. And I don't think that that is really ever the solution. I mean, if you go back in the the time and you think about the wheel, when the wheel was created, I mean, people were trying to figure out how to carry more water or more food. And so they were putting sticks with buckets on the end of the sticks because with that extended length, they were able to carry heavier weights. And so the buckets could be bigger. And as a result, they could carry more water. And and people were trying to figure out how to carry water and carry stuff better. But somebody said, well, what if we were to do it completely different? What instead of us carrying it, something else were to carry it, not just another animal. And of course, the wheel is created. And when the wheel was created, it radically changed the world. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Um, (laughs) I can't even where (laughs) which history book has the story of the creation of the wheel? Who was its inventor? You know, and can you give me stats on how much better the world was after the creation? I'm sure it was very important. I mean, I don't want to knock the creation of the wheel. <laughs> but God is not calling Christians to create or invent the wheel. Because the wheel is not better. The wheel is completely different. When you think about fire, 
People are trying to stay warm and they're trying to make better blankets or better quilts and they're piling on more skins of animals trying to keep warm. And somebody says, well, what if instead of trying to hold in our heat, we were to create an external heat? And (laughs) (laughs) This is is so ridiculous. Really, uh, we have... uh documentary evidence that uh, prior to the invention of fire, (sighs) (laughs) you know, I (laughs) seem to remember early on that, you know, the fire was there at, you know, at the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and stuff. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, uh, you might want to check your Bible on that one. Fire is created and fire radically changes the world because it's not a better way to stay warm. It's a completely different way. If you think about the car, you think about really any of the things that have changed the world. They changed the world because they were different, not because they were better. If you go to that phone that you have in your pocket, the the iPhone. Remember when the iPhone was created years ago? What was so special about the iPhone is everybody else was trying to make a better phone. They were trying to make a phone that wouldn't drop calls. Back in the day, some of you didn't live during this time period, but back in the day, the big problem was your calls would get dropped all the time. I mean, it still happens occasionally, but it used to happen all the time. You'd be talking, and then all of a sudden you're not talking anymore. And so people are trying to make a better phone. And you know what Apple said? Apple said, we're going to make something different. We're going to make a handheld computer. And they put that into our pockets and it changed the world. Why? Because it was completely different. Is the 5C or the 5S going to change the world? No, it's not because it's only better. It's not different. So am I sinning if I haven't invented the next world-changing invention? You know, seems to me that, um, you know, in the course of my lifetime, there's really only been a few major things that have been created that have accomplished this. Am I in sin if I'm not actively out there trying to figure out what the next iPhone is? And if you and I want to change the world, we've got to do different. And I think, especially as Christ followers, that that's exactly what God's calling us to do. Is that God's calling us to do something different, not just... Yeah, again, you're blaming this on God. Where in the Bible does it say God wants me to do something different? Something better. Because that's the way God operates. Oh, because that's the way God operates. Uh huh. Go to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God, what's the next word? The heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And I want you to circle that word created. It's an interesting word. It's a Hebrew word, bara, spelled B A R A. And it means that God created something out of nothing. There was nothing and God created something. And, and I think that God is in the very beginning is setting this example that he's called. <laughs> right. So Genesis chapter one, verse one. Bereshit barah Elohim It's it's apparently that was all designed because God wants you to follow his example. See, it says God created, therefore, well, you gotta follow his example, and now you gotta go and create. I'm gonna beat my head against my desk. That's ridiculous. That is one of the most absurd things I've ever heard in my life. Because God created, therefore I've gotta follow his example. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Am I sinning if I don't?
Because here's the thing. This this falls into what I was talking about as we were going into this sermon review, using the word sermon very loosely here, um, is that just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean the Bible prescribes something. For instance, okay, I could take you to a passage in Exodus where God parts the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. He literally causes the Red Sea to part, and there's a wall of water on one side, a wall of water on the other side, and there's dry ground right there in the middle. Okay? Now, if I were to use the logic of Troy Grambling here, well, then I would come up with, well, see, God there parted the Red Sea, and he wants you to follow his example. And so you better go start doing some water parting like right now because otherwise you're not going to change the world unless you can part some water. It's ridiculous. Okay? Genesis 1-1 does not say, God created the heavens and the earth, go thou and do likewise. It does not say that. God is in a different category than we are. Yes, we are created in his image. And we are fallen and sinful. And as a result of that, the image of God is like shattered into a gazillion pieces in all of us. And we're born dead in trespasses and sins and at war with the very God that made us. But nowhere in the Bible does it say God created, therefore you got to go out and create. So the whole premise of the sermon is absurd. It's absurd on its face. It's so absurd. It shows that Troy Grambling yet again is not qualified to be a pastor at all. Scripture specifically says that a pastor is one who's to study and show himself approved as a workman who does not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle the word of truth. He doesn't know. He can't even meet that qualification. Therefore, he's not qualified to teach. This is ridiculous. It's to something greater than just better that he's called us to different and why you and I can't make something out of nothing. In other words, God has given us the foundation of everything we need to create. I do think God is setting the example and he's saying, hey, don't settle for better. I created you in my image. Therefore, you have the capacity to do different. And I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, man. Again, nowhere in the Bible does it say God's saying to you, you have the capacity to do different, not just better. Just asking, why not you? I mean, why is it got to be somebody else that does different? Why is it about to be somebody else that comes up with, you know, the 2013 wheel or the 2013 fire or the 2013 iPhone? Why can't you be the one who doesn't just think about the money you could make if you did something better, but you thought about the difference you could make if you made something different? Mm, so, yeah, listen, why are you letting all those pagans do all the innovating, huh? You're created in God's image. Go thou and do likewise. You're supposed to be the ones changing the world, not the pagans. If you got outside of the box and really begin to believe that you were created on purpose by the, mo by the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at one time God. To do something of significance, not just to exist, not just to take in air, not to just look at the, no, but to do something different, to do something that brings about the solution to so many of the challenges that we face in the world. But it's not only in the beginning do we see God give us this example. In the New Testament, the same thing happens. Jesus is born. And Jesus is born not in the palace. Now listen carefully to what he says here. Because you're going to hear something that gets dangerously close to actually being the gospel. But don't worry. The gospel and the forgiveness of sins and Christ dying for us, that's not the point. 
Okay, so what he's going to do here is basically point to the, you know, kind of the outline, do a rough sketch of the gospel and say God did something different there. So that's setting the example that you've got to follow. Jesus is born in a manger. That's not normally where kings are born. It's not normally where God's are born, but Jesus is born in a manger. He's born. Where are God's born? <laughs> um, Mary, his mother, is a virgin. You know, that's not, that's relatively rare, I guess, you know, right? And that's, a, why is that such a big deal? Because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty rare for virgins to give birth. Oh, man. God's saying, I'm going to do something different. And then what God does that's so incredibly different is that salvation is experienced not by what you do, but by what Jesus did. It's unlike any other religion in the world. Every other religion is about you being better. And if you do enough better, if you become enough better, then you can have eternal life. You can be blessed by that God. But He's getting really dangerous close to actually preaching the gospel. Don't worry, he won't do it though. Christianity is not about you being better. It's about what God has already done. It's about being different. It's about trust. What has God already done? Him and the work that he has already done. What is the work he's already done? What am I trusting that he's done? And then, of course, Jesus, I mean, he prophesied. I put it in your outline in Luke. He said that, you know, he was going to come to earth and put on flesh. He was going to die. Yeah. And on the third day, he'd be res- he'd resurrect. Yeah. And why did he die again? And what he said he would do is exactly what he did. This is true. Why did he die again? And unlike any other um, one who has claimed to be God, you can go to their grave and there you will find their body but not if you go to the tomb. And even if you go back in history, Jesus prophesied. He let everybody know, hey, listen, I'm going to rise from the dead. They knew that he had prophesied that. They put guards at the tomb to make sure that somebody didn't come and just steal his body and then proclaim. I mean, they did everything they could to make sure that Jesus stayed into that tomb. But on the third day, the stone did roll away. He did walk out alive. And there wasn't one person alive who could prove that he didn't do that. Right. He arose. And what's the point of all of that? Because from the very beginning of time, God has always done different, not just better. (laughs) Oh, man. Adventures in missing the point. Really? So the whole point of the cross was so that God can give us a clear demonstration of how he does things differently, not just better. Oh, man. Somebody buy this man a clue. I want to challenge you to do the same. I hope that you leave here with a bigger dream to do something that's never been done as opposed to just trying to do something better that has already been done. I want to look at uh, kind of the difference. If you look in your outline, on one side of the graph you have better, and on one side of the graph you have different. And I want us to see how these two kind of work together. One's not bad. We all operate in better at certain seasons in our lives, and we all should operate in different in seasons in our lives. And I'm just afraid that we get stuck in better. When we're operating in the better, we're operating in the box. But if you look right to the right of that, when we're operating different, we're operating out of the box, getting outside of the box. We're doing something different. When we're operating better, we're improving on what we already have. 
already have the iPhone, so we're going to make the iPhone 5. It's the fifth version of the same thing, right? And it's not even, it's even more than fifth because you have 4S and 4 whatever and 5, right? It's just, it's the same thing. It's only supposed to be better. But when you do something different, you create something that we don't. It's like when the cell phone first was created. I mean, I remember pay phones. Anybody else remember pay phones? That if you so apparently Apple is sinning because they haven't invented the next whatever the iPhone it's going to be, you know? In your car and you wanted to make a call, you had to stop. Unless you were watching some like futuristic television show. I remember when my dad came home with a bag phone in his car. And I thought, we are important. <laughs> that was back in the day when you had everybody's phone number memorized. Remember those days? I mean, you know, my friend's number was 239, uh, what was it, 6140 or something like that. I mean, you had everybody, and man, I went in there and I dialed every number I had memorized. Now I don't even know my phone number. Right? <laughs> Things have changed a little bit. But it changed. And then I, 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 Steph and I were married and we got a brick <laughs> cell phone. I mean, this thing was gigantic. But we couldn't make a call without putting in a dime. And we had to pay $100 to do it for a couple of minutes. But we were cool. I, I mean, those things change the world. Now we've got these little phones. We stick them in our pocket. We're connected all the time. We get to do things that we could have never done. We're safer because we have the ability to contact one another. I, I'm old enough to remember when computers. Steph and I went out and we bought like our first computer. First computer we had was um, a Mac. And it had a little tape recorder that you could put the data on a cassette. I didn't have anything to store and the internet wasn't around. So there was nobody to talk to, but I did have a computer. And then we had DOS and you had to type in, you know, run and all that kind of stuff. There were no, it, it, man, those things changed the world. At the internet, we can do whatever we want to right there online. You don't even have to leave your house to order pizza anymore. Just do it online and they show up. Those things radically changed the world because they weren't different. They were better. And that's what, uh, or they weren't better. They were different. That's what different does. It creates what we don't have. Better is concerned about criticism because that's what keeps you in the box is the fear of criticism. I mean, you think. Okay. So the reason why you're not out there thinking differently and, you know, you, you as a Christian are not creating the next big thing is because, well, you're afraid of criticism. Hi. Think about it. Why don't you do something different? It's because you're afraid that you'll be criticized. I mean, even when if it comes to fashion, fashion can get pretty radical from time to time. And some of you see other people on television or you see people out in the streets, you know, or, or you and you say, man, I would love to wear that. And the only reason you don't is because you're afraid of what people will say if you do. Oh, they'll make fun of me. They'll think it keeps us in a box. Criticism is what keeps us in a box and it keeps us from taking the risk of doing something different. And it's not just in fashion. It's in every area of our lives. If you will allow it to happen, criticism will keep you in a box. Well, those who do something different, they expect criticism. They expect criticism because see, people don't like you to get out of the box because when you get out of the box, you make them uncomfortable. When you get out of the box, people are like, can you really do that? Again, which passage of Scripture talks about the importance of uh, not listening to criticism and not fearing it so that you can get out of the box? This isn't a biblical sermon. Are you sure that's okay? And, and so they're always trying to keep you in the box. So I just want to tell you, if you're going to change the world, I promise you, you will be criticized in ministry. 
which is what I've done for the last 25 years, is that, you know, the most impactful ministries in the world are often the most criticized ministries in the world. Yeah, no, it's it it's the most heretical ones are the ones who are most criticized. The ones who are least faithful to what God's Word actually says, those are the ones that are criticized. And if you want to go online, you're going to be able to see that those who have the greatest impact are the very ones who get blogged and tweeted and all those different things the most about. Why? Because they got out of the box. So we're going to do something different. And it may be the different way that they do ministry. maybe the different way that they look. I mean, there's a million different things. Yeah, it's that you're not doing ministry. You're not actually preaching the word. You're not actually making disciples. You're not actually telling people anything meaningful about what God's word really says. I don't, you know, regardless of what clothes you're wearing, that's kind of who cares. Uh, The issue is you ain't doing your job. There's tons of criticism. Why? Because the enemy wants you back in the box. The same is true for whatever business you're in. If you look at the people in your profession who are having the greatest impact, they're the most criticized. Why? Because they're doing something different. They're changing the world. And whether you go back and look at any technology, I was reading about when like the steam engine was created and trains were created. And public officials were completely concerned about these steam engines. I remember because they used barges at the, in the day to get, you know, I got a mule, her name is Sal, 15 miles in the Erie Canal. Anyways, th- that's how they would carry freight and stuff. And so I, I remember reading about a pol- uh, some politicians who were like, man, these steam engines are going to destroy our country. They're up and down, out through rural areas. They're scaring the cows and making children cry. They're traveling at the breakneck speed of 15 miles an hour. I mean, what are we, we going to do? You know, they were criticizing a new technology. And so if you're going to be different, if you're going to bring about change in the world, just please know you will be criticized. And when you're criticized... You'll be tempted to get into the box. I don't know anybody. Now, notice he's not describing Christian persecution. Persecuted for the name of Christ. Persecuted for trusting in Christ. Persecuted for preaching the the stumbling block of the cross, right? Where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. He's not describing Christian persecution. He is describing... Oh, the suffering that those visionary leaders out there have suffered as they've tried to make the world a better place. That's not the same as Christian martyrdom or Christian persecution or Christian suffering. Do you, th- do you think when you read of you know the martyrs in the, uh, in the first three centuries of Christianity um, in the Roman Empire that they died, that any one of them died for trying to invent the next thing that would change the world and and the Romans were going, oh, no, 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 you you can't bring us that. No, the way we're doing things is per Oh, you Christians, oh, you keep trying to make the world better. We can't stand you. No, this is ridiculous. Who criticism doesn't hurt. Can I tell you every conference that I have been to that's about doing something different, you know what the number one topic of discussion is? Criticism. And everybody talks about how you can't let criticism hurt you. You know why everybody talks about why you can't let criticism hurt you? It's because it hurts you. And we try to talk our way through it not hurting. It will hurt. It will hurt. I've never had anybody say anything about me that didn't hurt. 
Because when you step out to do something different, you're vulnerable, aren't you? All right? So, so those who stay in the box allow criticism to keep them in the box. Those who do something different, they expect the criticism. Those who do something better organize the chaos. Right? They're creating systems and, and they're, they're doing all that needs to be done so that we can do things better. And remember, there's nothing wrong with doing better. There's nothing wrong with the iPhone 5S or the Note 3. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They just won't change the world. Oh, yeah. And see, since God wants us to change the world, we're letting God down if we're just doing better. But they're necessary foundation in order to be able to change the world in the future. So better is always organizing, but different is creating the chaos. Right? I mean, if you're around somebody that's always thinking outside the box, what are they doing? About the time you get one idea organized, they've got another idea. They're always breaking down the box. They're always pushing out the sides. They're always moving to a new place. It's important to understand that about each other. Those who are doing things better are always answering questions. Those who are doing things different are always the ones asking the questions. Those who do things better um, uh, create what people desire. In other words, they're answering the questions that people are asking and they're creating what people desire. Like, oh man, we need this, right? We need a better camera, so we're going to make a phone with a better camera. We need a phone with better reception, so we're going to make a phone with better reception. We need a phone that we don't have to take the energy to slide the bar. We just touch with our fingerprint, right? But people who do something different create something people don't even know they need yet. Right? I mean, there's so many things in our lives. We didn't know we need them until they were created. Can I, I promise you, listen, I was happy before I got that brick phone. I didn't know I needed the phone in my car until I got one. And now I need a phone. I I didn't know I needed the internet until I got it. Right? And so people are doing things different, aren't operating just based on what people are asking for. They're stepping out and to where people are going. The great hockey player, um, oh, what's the guy in California that uh, retired? Gresky talked about how he doesn't skate to where the puck is. He skates to where the puck is going. And that's why he's been so successful. Most people are going to where the puck is, and they're always a step behind. But if you and I are going to change the world, we don't want... Yeah, but uh, Gretzky didn't change the world. He just made some really nice records. And he didn't change hockey. He just figured out how to do ch- hockey better. To go to where the culture is, we want to be able to move into where the culture is going. We want to be able to lead the culture, and that's the way you do it. You get there before they do. Now, as I was thinking about this, and I was sharing with our team, I have, all right, I'm going to unveil to you what I call the butt theory, okay? This is what you call it. What's it called in the Bible? Oh, yeah, it's not taught in the Bible. You're not giving us a biblical sermon. The butt theory. And the butt theory looks something like this. <clears throat> Let me draw it over here, okay? Now, if you think about life, and I, and I put it there in your outline, all right? Here's the first principle of the butt theory, is that everything has a life cycle, Everything is born and it dies. Everything. We as people, we're born, we go to the apex, right? At that time in our lives where they say we'll never be more physically strong than we are at that age. We'll never see better than we do at that age. 
We'll never be more sexually fulfilled than we are at that age. They tell us that there's an apex in the human life. After that, everything is downhill. Okay? It's just, I mean, it's just like all of a sudden, what happened to my body? I can't see. You know how frustrating it is to not be able to see? Go to the restaurant and hold up a menu that just a few years ago you could see with no problem at all. And now it looks like another language. Right? It's because I've crossed the apex, my friend. All right. And so, and every, listen, businesses are like that. I mean, tons of businesses, they start and they begin to grow and they're doing well, but they reach that apex and then they begin the descent. Same thing happens to ministries. If you go back a decade and you look at what churches were having the greatest impact in the world, you would see many of the churches that were on that list wouldn't be on the list today. Why? Because everything has a life cycle. Now, here's the second principle of the butt theory is that everything fights to stay alive. Because everything has a life cycle, everything fights to stay alive. As human beings, right? We go see these special people who can do things to our face that makes us look like we're at the apex when we're well beyond the apex. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because we're fighting to stay alive. Businesses are the same thing. Church is the same thing. Because here's what we do. I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do. I just got to do it better. Because better used to be the best. Better used to be different. Why do they continue to make the iPhone? Because it worked. Right? If it wouldn't have worked, we wouldn't even know. This generation wouldn't even know what the iPhone is. Right? It'd go the way of the Yugo or whatever that car was that they made years ago. It's because it worked. So there's this tendency to hold on and to try to make it better, whether it be our human bodies, whether it be a business. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's just an important thing for us to understand. Here's the third principle, all right? Is that one cheek a butt does not make, all right? Now, you ever thought you'd hear that at church, uh, probably, but one cheek a butt does not make. Because here's what needs to happen, all right? Is there's this other graph. Now, the reason I call it the butt theory is because that looks like a butt. All right. I know I'm deep. Okay. Yeah. He has some kind of whiteboard type thingy and literally what he's drawn on it looks like, well, what he's describing, a butt, two-cheeked butt to be exact. Try to stay with me. Now, here's the way we pass it on to the next generation or to the next idea. It's at the apex, okay, that you began this, this new. And it's, it's growing to another level, right? It's higher than, than, than what you were doing, okay? So you get an idea, and this idea is growing, it's growing, and it reaches the apex. Well, you know, once you reach the apex, there's only one direction. It doesn't matter. Listen, you might be able to delay it. But there is no plastic surgeon in the world that can keep us young. We will eventually die. We will eventually get old. We will eventually show our age, unless you're Joan Rivers, okay? (laughs) I mean, people complain about her, but I just got to say, I mean, she looks pretty young to me. But, right, it's going to happen. So so what are we going to do about it? And what are you going to do about it in your business? What are we going to do about it as a ministry? I mean, do we, do we want just the ministry to be one generation and then look back at the good old days and talk about what we used to do in an empty auditorium? 
Or do we want to continue? And so what you have to do is that when you're... Now, in your case, Troy, an empty auditorium would be an improvement for the kingdom of God. At the apex, you do something different. You birth something new. Yes, human beings, if we didn't give birth to children, it would completely die out. Right? But it's at that apex, if you go back in human history, that families then begin to develop. Why? Because there's this instinct that God put in us that says this is just one generation. And if you don't begin something, it doesn't matter how well you try to make your body better. Eventually it's going to die. And if you don't create something new, everything's going to die with it. It's the same with your business. It's the same with this church. It's the same with every idea within your business. There is a day for that idea. But then at the apex of that idea, now here's, what, here's the problem, is that so many times people don't see it until they've crossed the apex. See, our responsibility as leaders in our home and in our business and in our ministry is to recognize the apex and say it's at the apex that we're going to birth something new. See, the yeah, um, notice that um, what do we get as far as a, any biblical teaching here? One verse, Genesis 1 1. That's it. I mean, what is this? I mean, it's, it's as if the guy spends all of his time reading pop business books. What I'm looking at here is somebody trying to basically describe. What many business authors have talked about, what's called corporate life cycles, okay? We talk about sigmoid curves and stuff. This is standard stuff in, in the corporate world. They talk about corporate life cycles and how to renew yourself so that you don't turn into an organization that is, you know, that is on the decline. I mean, hey, yay. If you spent any time in the corporate world, you're familiar with these concepts, and this has nothing to do with biblical doctrine, Christian discipleship sanctification, justification, any theology. I mean, this is ridiculous. The challenge in that is that not everybody sees it then. They're like, why are we going to start something new? What we're doing is working so good. We're making more money than we've ever made. We're impacting more people than we've ever impacted. We're having more fun than we've ever had. Whatever it is in your life. And the temptation is to say, well, then let's keep riding this thing. But you're going to ride it right into the ground. And that's what most people do. Right? I mean, Jim Collins has written all these books about how most companies are, they don't continue to thrive and they don't continue to survive. Uh huh. Jim Collins. I knew it. Business books. That's what he's been reading. Not theology. Nothing to do with correct hermeneutics. He hasn't been reading any biblical commentaries. He's been reading Jim Collins. Books have been written about churches that don't continue to thrive, that don't continue to survive. And we all know that we're only one generation. I don't care what I do, I am not going to live to the age of 200. Maybe 150, but not to 200. It's just not, it's just not going to happen. All right. So, so are you with me on these principles? The first principle is everything has a life cycle. The second principle is everything fights to stay alive. That's normal. You got to know I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. You're going to keep wanting to do it better when you need to do something new. That brings us to the third principle. One cheek, a butt does not make. So you need two cheeks. You need, all right, you need something that is growing and then something new that's being birthed off of that. The next generation in a family, the next idea in a business, the next uh, creation in a ministry. Makes me wonder what the metrics are out there at um, Potential Church. 
Makes me wonder if uh, they're not experiencing some decline. Hmm. That, that, that something new. Now, here's the next principle. A but leads to new life. The reason I call it the but theory is not just because it looks like a but, but it's at the apex that you need to start asking the but questions. But why? But what? But who? Because when you start asking those questions, you get new ideas. You get different. As long as you just keep saying, how do we do it better? How do we do it more efficient? How do we do it with greater income? Eventually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to apex and it's going to go down. So you have to ask the but. But why do we do that? Now, can I tell you, if you're the one with this idea, you're going to struggle with the but question. It's why? Because we all fight for life. You know what is hard to do as human beings? Isn't it hard to hand it over to the next generation? It's like, but, but I'm not through. <laughs> but, but, but you don't know, right? There's this tendency to want to hang on to it. And it's the same with your idea. It's the same with your business. It's the same with ministry philosophy. So, so you, you got to have that new birth. You got to have that, that new idea, all right? And the sad thing is, this is what breaks my heart. I don't know if you see it in business, but I see it in ministry all the time. You know when it's often handed over? Is when this generation has ridden it to the apex, continues to try to do it better instead of different, and then once it gets to a place that people are no longer attending... See, when it's a new idea, when a church starts, there's all this energy and there's all this excitement and people are giving their resources to it and you're building buildings and you're starting new ministries and all these exciting things are happening. And what I see happen over and over again is they keep trying to do it better and better, but it's the same idea. They get to the apex and then they start downward. And instead of giving it to the next generation, instead of starting a new idea, instead of doing something different than the book that they wrote on that first rise... They ride it all the way into the ground until all of a sudden there's nobody coming. And you know what we give to the next generation? Empty auditoriums, empty budgets, and no vision. But what if, what if our ministries and our businesses, what if we could give it to them at the top? What if the next idea could build on the shoulders of your good idea? Instead of waiting until you're like, man, what are we going to do? We don't have any more revenue. We don't have any more income. What if when you're at the top, you began something new so that whatever you're beginning can start on your shoulders? Oh, why do I feel like we're going to hear him starting to cast vision for something new? Oh, please, no. I don't want my kids to begin where I began. And if I ride what God has given me into the ground, then I'm going to hand to my kids nothing. But if I can begin to give to my kids and, in, and challenge my kids and empower my kids, then they can stand on my shoulders and they can go to the next level. It's the same with an idea. Let your next idea get on the shoulders of the idea you presently have. Does that make sense? So everything has a life cycle. Everything fights to stay alive. One cheek a butt does not make. A butt leads to new life. And then the last principle, and then we'll look at our model of how to do this. And I said the very same thing again. One cheek a butt does not make because this is what happens. So many times when we start the new idea, 
we leave this. And so now you still only have one cheek and you've lost the foundation of everything that allowed this to take place. And it comes crashing down. It's not that this is a bad idea. It's just that you lost the foundation. And so in order to be successful, you have to have both cheeks. Or it's not a but. It's not got the foundation. It's not got what it needs. See, this disappears when this one begins. And then this one disappears when this one, and it just keeps this progress of growing and building on one another's shoulders. But you have to have the new idea and you have to have the old idea that's creating all the resources that allows the new idea to begin. Because without the resources, the new idea is going to struggle. And why in the world would you want to launch a new idea without the resources to make it happen? So you got to have both of these ideas, you know, going at the same time. You have to have both of these generations going at the same time. If we want to do something different, if we want to change the world, if you're going to do something, not just better, but you're going to do something different, that you're going to leave a legacy that challenges for generations. When you read about these people, can I tell you, they're just like you. They weren't special. God, God didn't point them and, and, and make, no, no. God created you. He was knit, he knit you together. Why would you let somebody else be the solution that God created you to be? Or would you let somebody else be the answer that God created you to be? What? Why, why would I let anyone else become the solution that God created me to be? What are you smoking? This is ridiculous. This open up your Bible and read through a passage and exegete it and tell these people about Christ. Good night. Why would you allow fear to keep you inside the box? So how do we be different instead of better? Is well, follow our example. Who's our example? Jesus. What better example to follow than Jesus? I mean, Jesus was the king innovator. Uh huh. <sighs> okay, so, yeah, now we're going to look to Jesus. He's the ultimate example of innovation. Who knew? Really, how come none of the apostles talk about Jesus' important innovations? All of Jesus' ministry was innovative. It's different. It had never been seen before. Let me give you a few examples. If you and I are, are going to be different, building on the foundation of better, all right? Better's not bad. Okay, this again, let me remind you. Just because something is described in the Bible doesn't mean that something is prescribed in the Bible. Just because Jesus multiplied fishes does not mean that you need to multiply fishes. Just because Jesus walked on the water does not mean that you need to walk on the water. You get what I'm saying here? Let's find out what he's going to do here. I'm absolutely frightened at what's coming next. It's the foundation that allows us to do different. If we're going to be different, then we will only do that if we understand our calling to create. That we are called to create. The calling. If we were called by God to create, then wouldn't the Bible tell us that? And it doesn't. It's so important. When Jesus was born, he was born in the manger. He was born to Mary and Joseph, okay? Mary was a virgin. The Holy Spirit came upon her. And 
as Jesus began to grow up and, and they were on their way um, to Jerusalem and they're traveling with a group of people and mom and dad think that Jesus is just hanging out with all the other kids when they leave. Come to find out Jesus isn't with them. They freak out. And they find... This is a story of Jesus' innovation. Oh my. Figure out that Jesus is back at the temple talking to the religious leaders as a 12-year-old boy. And I want you to look in your outline at the scripture. Here's what happens. His parents, they didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this thing to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And if you're a parent, you know that feeling, don't you? To look up in Walmart and realize that Bobby's not where Bobby was. And you just get that feeling in your stomach, like, where are they? And you just get frantic. That's the way Mary and Joseph were. There's where Jesus, where'd he go? Somebody take him, somebody hurt him. You know, and so when they find him, they're like, Jesus, what, what, what were you thinking? What were you doing? In verse 49, Jesus says, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't totally understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and was, underline that next word, obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. Now, two things. The first thing is, Jesus says, you should have known where I was. I'm about my father's business. You want to know where I'm at? It's my calling. You're always going to find me at what I'm called to do. You and I will never change the world until we understand. Again, where in the Bible does it say that I need to change the world or you need to change the world or we as Christians need to change the world? It doesn't. So now we've got this passage about Jesus, you know, when he's 12 years old, and it's become a prescription for you. You've got to go change the world. You've got to be busy at whatever you're called to do so that you can change the world. Oi, where did you go to seminary again, Troy? I'm not sure you even know you've been properly trained in hermeneutics, like even in hermeneutics 101. And our destiny, our calling, our purpose. You want to know where to look for me? Don't look for me out to the left or out to the right. You are always going to find me running after my destiny, running after my purpose. Because if you don't understand your calling, I promise you, you will surrender your destiny. Because it's too difficult. It's too challenging. I can't tell you how many times in my life, man, I wasn't planning on being a pastor it wasn't my goal. That wasn't my idea. God called me to that. No, he didn't because you're not qualified. One of the qualifications for a pastor is he must be able to teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. God did not call you, Troy. You're not qualified to teach in Christ's church. I've embraced that. I'm passionate about that. But, man, there's a lot of times when I'm like, I, I still after 20-something years, like, man, I gotta, I'm not sure what I need to do here. Or how do I comfort? Or, man, I see a world that's hurting so badly, and, and you just feel overwhelmed from time to time. And when you feel overwhelmed, it's easy to kind of quit. And the only reason I haven't quit is not because I'm a good person. <laughs> it's just because I'm a called person. I didn't choose. Again, no, you're not. If God really quali- called you, then you would be qualified to be doing what you're doing, and you're not. Ministry. God created me for it. And the same is true for you. God doesn't just call pastors. He calls all of us. He didn't just get involved in my mother's womb. He got involved in your mother's womb. 
Your birth may have been a surprise to your parents. It may have been like mine, an act of violence. But I will tell you that it doesn't matter how it began. God got involved and he knit you together with a destiny and a purpose in mind. And until you discover what that is, you're going to be tossed to the left and to the right. You're going to have a bunch of ideas. Notice he's not preaching Christ. He's preaching you and your destiny. Unbelievable. He is that you never finish because they're difficult. You ever seen somebody else do your idea and be successful? And you're like, well, I thought of that years ago. You may have thought about it, but you didn't pay the price for it to succeed. Right? So like when you see a professional, anybody, a professional athlete, they're not a professional athlete because they were born with great giftedness. They're a professional athlete because when other folks weren't practicing, they were practicing. When others weren't put into the work, they put into the work. And it's the same. And, you got to, and the only way to do that is you've got to know your calling. You've got to know your destiny. Man, you are called to create. You are called to significance. You are called to succeed. The Bible is... You are called by God to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Ay, ay, ay. This is unbelievable. Filled with that kind of language. Please do not settle for average. Don't be medium. Don't be the in-between. You were created to do something that matters. You were born dead in trespasses and sins, and Christ bled and died for you. See the difference? Every single one of us. Here, here's, here's the second thing, is that you have to be confident in the impossible. You have to be confident in the impossible. When you think about confidence... That's ridiculous. I'm confident in Christ. I'm not confident in the impossible. The impossible is impossible. What I am confident in, who I am confident in, is Jesus. And you're not telling me anything even remotely significant about him. And you call yourself a Christian pastor. You can think about believe in the impossible, have faith in the possible. Because faith moves us to action. Hope just wishes. A lot of people hope for the best. Faith moves us to action. Boy, have we heard that in all of our segments today. Weird, huh? No, as Christ followers, we don't hope for the best. We believe in the best. That means we're acting upon the confidence that the best is what's going to take place. Because that's what God's called us to. And again, our example is Jesus. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says what confidence is or what faith is. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And not could happen, not might happen. It's going to happen. That what God put inside your heart is going to happen. Hebrews 11.1 1 has nothing to do with anything God has put inside of your heart. Let's take a look at the passage and we'll put it in context, which might require me to go into chapter 10 to do that. Because Paul, I think Paul's the one who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, by the way. Um, there's reasons for this. Our earliest manuscripts always have the uh, book of Hebrews in with the Pauline letters. Um, yeah, I'll start at verse one. Now, faith is the assurance of things hopeful, the conviction of things not seen for by it, the people of old received their commendation by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made, uh, was not made out of the things that are visible. And by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, he died. Uh, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, notice here, it's not talking about, you know, faith in some thing that God supposedly has laid on your heart. This is ridiculous. This is talking about true faith and confidence in Christ, in God, that what he speaks is true, which then leads to the question, what is it that God has spoken that I can cling on to? What is it that God has spoken that really applies to me? Answer, that Christ died for my sins. That's right. And that I'm washed, that I'm sanctified, that I am made holy, that I am justified, and God's wrath has been propitiated by what Christ has done for me. These are the promises that I cling to. Nowhere in Scripture does it promise that God's going to give me some dream destiny, lay it on my heart, so that I can go and do different and change the world. Nowhere does it say that in Scripture. Not one verse. What Troy Gramling is doing here is just grasping at straws. Why? Because he doesn't know what the Bible teaches. Therefore, he doesn't know how to teach it. He should not be teaching anybody. And that gives us the assurance about the things we can't see. So I'm making decisions not based upon what I see, but upon what God said. I do that because of faith or confidence. Sometimes that faith or confidence is in the impossible. It's in the things that not only can you not see it, it's difficult to even believe it. Jesus is our example in the very next chapter. He fulfills what Hebrews 11 says. It says, because he's talking about persevering and not quitting, he says, we do this, we persevere, we don't quit by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Honor, the place of honor was through the cross. Now think about that for a moment. Scripture says that Jesus said, I don't, no man takes my life from it, I freely give it. So Jesus willingly hung on the cross. The cross is normally not the pathway to honor. Why was he hanging on the cross? You know what the cross is? It's the electric chair. Yeah, I agree. It's a lethal injection. Yeah, it's, it's a capital punishment for sure. It's for the worst of the worst. That's right. And why did he die then? It's for those who are rebellious. It's for the worst criminals. It is not the pathway to success. You don't normally look at somebody and say, hey, what are you doing for the next 30 years? Well, I'm going to be in prison. Well, you must be on your road to success. Normally, we don't think of prison as the pathway to success. And yet Jesus says, even on the cross, I was able to have joy. Why? Because my heavenly father said that on the other side of the cross was honor. Yeah. And what did he accomplish on the cross? The salvation of us all, right? Right? Can we talk about that part? You know, so, I mean, you're making it sound like, oh, Jesus went to the cross because God said, hey, you want me to honor you? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, then I want you to go uh, be crucified on the cross. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is not what he did. This is ridiculous. And so honor may seem impossible on the other side of the cross, but I'm going to remain on the cross because of what he has said. See, and if you're going to do something different, you're going to have to be able to believe in the impossible. Now that's two times in this sermon, two times. He's come dangerously close to accidentally preaching the gospel, but found a way to completely avoid preaching it. Weird, huh? So the cross in both instances has just become an example of Jesus doing the different. And you've got to do different, too, so that you can change the world. Unbelievable. I mean, I think this is satanic. 
That's exactly what I think this is. Because only Satan could come up with a way of finding a way to mention the cross and Jesus on it and make sure that the forgiveness of sins and God's wrath being propitiated and, you know, and that God had laid on him uh, the iniquity of us all can somehow be you know, missing from it. And everything around you seems like it's going to fail. And everybody's telling you that you're not going to succeed. And everything inside of you wants to quit. It wants to surrender. Maybe I made a bad decision. No, no. But I know what God's put inside of my heart. And so I'm going to continue to believe in the impossible. To believe doesn't mean to hope the impossible will happen. It makes to make decisions as if it is going to happen. Because God has said that it will. You can't succeed making decisions, hoping something will happen. You have to believe. Can I tell you? It's difficult to believe in the impossible, isn't it? I think you're just believing in delusions. You're not really hearing from God. I like, it's a lot easier to believe in what I can see. It's a lot easier to believe in what I know. But God calls us to believe and to have faith and to walk in confidence in the impossible. Those who change the world change. No, he calls us to have faith and belief in Christ. Think of it this way. Faith is like eyesight, okay? Eyesight always has to be looking at something. Faith always has an object to which it is looking to. I, my faith is not in the impossible. My faith is in Christ, the the virgin-born Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave bodily on the third day. That's who my faith looks to. You're saying for us to have faith in the impossible. No, the impossible can't save me, and no, nowhere in the Bible am I led to expect that God's going to call me to do the impossible. It's ridiculous. I'm called, just like you are called, to faith, penitent faith, in trust and, and, and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. The world, even though others said that what they were about to do couldn't be done. Nobody has ever done anything that changed the world that the majority thought could actually happen. Whether it was inventing the airplane or the wheel or the car or a phone. Whether it was missionaries who had an incredible impact on the world. Whether it was doing church different. It wasn't that many years ago where you would never see a church like this. You'd never see a church that had a band or had... You're not a church. You don't preach the word. You don't preach the gospel. You are a self-help center, a place where people can go to get a pep talk on how to do business better. A real church actually preaches Christ, and a real pastor actually rightly handles God's word and points us to Christ from every passage. This is absurd. In different kinds of lights or, or did ministry, in a di- you would have never seen that. But somebody said, you know what? If we're going to reach our world, we're going to have to do things differently. And everybody said, no, you can't do that. It won't honor God. It won't do this. It won't do that. But there were some folks who said, no, we're going to do it. And as a result, there are thousands of people who have come to Christ as a result of them believing in the impossible. And this- How do you come to Christ believing in the impossible? You must come to Christ believing in Christ, trusting in Christ. And yes, Jesus accomplished what is impossible for any of us human beings, born and dead in trespasses and sins. He rose bodily from the grave on the third day after he was executed and crucified under Pontius Pilate. He's the one who's done the impossible for us, to help us, basically, to save us, because 
There's something else that we can't do. It's impossible for us to save ourselves. We are so steeped in sin. We are so wicked by nature. We cannot save ourselves and free ourselves from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. But Christ sets us free by doing the impossible for us. This is the message of Christianity. What you're preaching, Troy, is nonsense. Same is true for you and whatever it is that God has called you to. All right. We're almost done. Jesus showed us you have to have the courage to change. In John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, it says this. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus. This is the, who, the, who, the religious leaders. Why are they harassing Jesus? Now think about that. If Jesus was criticized, do you think you will be? I don't like it. I don't like being criticized. I'm just like you. You're not being criticized because of your faith in Christ. You're being criticized for your inability to rightly handle the word of Christ. But if Jesus was unable to evade it, I doubt that I will be. It says Jesus was, and here's why he was being criticized. is because he was breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus said, my father is always working and so am I. Now I want you to understand this, okay? The Bible clearly says that we are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I mean, it's one of the top 10. So if you think about that being the bullseye, remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Well, what happened to the people of God is they missed the mark. They violated this. And when they violated this, they were taken captive by a foreign nation. Now, all of a sudden, they didn't have the ability to make their own decisions. It was being made for them by another government. They were under the thumb and of the rule of another government. Well, when they repented of missing the mark, and God began to bring blessing into their life. They did something that you and I might very well do. They said, we don't ever want to do that again. We don't ever want to miss the mark again. We don't want to, we don't want, we don't want to dishonor God. We don't want to not do what God's told us to do because the blessing is when we're underneath in obedience because that's where the blessing's being poured out. So they said, just to make sure, just to make sure that we never break the Sabbath, we're going to draw another fence right out here. And we're going to tell you that if you do this, you're breaking the Sabbath. If you do this, you're missing the mark. Now, God didn't say this. The religious leaders of the day did. And all of a sudden, when Jesus comes on the scene, you know where Jesus lives his life? <laughs> right here. He climbed right over that fence and he began to do things that people said you couldn't do. And Jesus just said, listen to me, that's not the law. That's not the commandment. God has given us all of this freedom to live within this area. And so Jesus had the courage to be changed. Now, if you're going to do something different, then it takes courage. And the change begins where? It begins with you. So if the change... Uh, so Jesus' refusal to abide by the man-made religious system of the Pharisees means that he was basically being a change agent. Oh, man. Begins with you. You know what else begins with you? The criticism begins with you. You can't lead others to change when you haven't changed yourself. You got to get outside the box. And the moment you're outside the box, people are going to shoot arrows. Jesus was willing to be the change. He even said it, didn't he? He said, they persecuted me. Guess what? They're going to persecute you. Yeah, um, nowhere in scripture or in church history have you experienced, have Christians experienced persecution 
for being just mere change agents and changing the world. Uh, I don't recall that uh, Steve Jobs, the guy who's responsible for bringing us the iPhone and the iPad, I don't recall that he was crucified and criticized by the world for daring to bring us the iPhone and the iPad. No, no. True Christian suffering comes from proclaiming Christ is the only way of salvation. You are not preaching that, and the type of criticism you're talking about is not how Christians have historically been criticized and suffered. Came after me. I'm calling you to live outside the box. They're going to come after you. And then lastly, is that you have to have a commitment to persevere. Remember, Jesus' whole life was about doing the will of the Father which was to reconcile the world into himself, which meant going through the cross. What does that mean to reconcile the world to himself? You're getting close again to preaching the gospel. Boy, I'd hate to see you fall short here. As he got closer to the cross, he had a meal with his boys. We call it communion, the Lord's Supper. Cue sappy music. And afterwards, look at what he says in Matthew 26. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Well, you guys keep watching with me. You ever been there where you just hurt so bad? You just want somebody around. Just somebody to hold your hand. Somebody to tap you on the shoulder. Somebody to encourage you. That's where Jesus was. Yeah, because he was tired of being criticized for being a change agent. He was just trying to bring change and be different in the world. And he was just, you know, praying and just needed a little bit, you know, comfort from his disciples. And, you know. These guys, will you stick around? In verse 39, he says he went a little further. He bowed his he bowed with his face to the ground and he said, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, would you read these last words out loud with me at all of our campuses today? I want your will, not mine. Just says, I don't want to go to the cross, but I will persevere because I'm committed to it. It's what I came to do. If you're going to do something different, you're going to have to be committed to it. <sighs> So he's talking about the cross, but he's not actually preaching the cross. The cross is now just an example. You need to persevere like Jesus did and do God's will the way Jesus did because he was willing to go. I mean, do God's will to the point of going to the cross. And whatever God has laid on your heart, make sure that you are committed as Jesus is. Like I said, this is satanic. Listen to me. A God idea doesn't mean an easy idea. I talk to people all the time that get all excited about an idea that God's given them. And then two months later, you can't find them anywhere. Why? Because it didn't happen in two months. I want you to know that, man, I've been running after God for since I was 12 years old. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. And I've got some big dreams and I've got some big visions that I think God has put into my heart. But on a daily basis, I get disappointed that we are not yet there. But what am I going to do? Quit? Am I going to give up? Am I going to surrender? Am I going to guess that I'm wrong? No, there's only one thing that I can do. There's only one thing that you can do is to say, I am not quitting today. I am not giving up today. I am not surrendering today. I am choosing to believe. Not believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, one for you on the cross. No, you're going to believe in some vision, destiny thing that God's supposedly laid on your heart. And that's all you got to do every day. 
You don't have to do it for a month. You don't have to plan the next year. All you got to do is say, today I'm going to believe. I don't want to believe it. I don't feel like believing it, but I am going to believe it because my God said it. And one day I'm going to cross that line. One day I'm going to experience that breakthrough. One day I'm going to see that happen. And one day you're going to die and you're going to stand before Christ and give an accounting of your life. And if you don't trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, then your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and all of his angels. You were created for that to take place. And there is nothing the enemy can do to stop you from experiencing that. Only you, if you decide to do life in the box. Yeah, trust me when I tell you, Satan is really not about trying to keep you from doing life outside of the box. That's not what he's about at all. He's about keeping you from trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, knowing the truth and being set free by what Jesus has done. That's what he's about. You know, Satan could care less if you serve your neighbor as a garbage truck driver or a long-distance trucker or as a nurse, or a doctor, or even the President of the United States. Who cares? The thing he doesn't want you to do is be a penitent sinner who's been brought to his knees, knowing that he's a sinner in need of a Savior, and then trusting in what Christ has done for you on the cross. That's the thing that Satan is trying to keep you from. And Troy Gramling has once again demonstrated what it's like to preach the cross without actually preaching the cross, to mention the the cross and just turn it into an example that you need to follow rather than trusting in what Christ has done for you on it. Big difference. The difference of night and day, black and white, good versus evil, truth versus error. And what Troy gave us was all error, all black, all evil. It was absolutely, 100% narcissistic, satanic. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>